Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, welcome back, BuzzBeat listeners. I'm your host, Spencer Percy, and with me, as always, is my BuzzBeat co-host, Richie's Handles Randall. We are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Please go and check out all the awesome shows over at almightyballer.com. Richie, we've had a ton of basketball to have our eyes on here recently. Uh, it, it's been overload for me, you know, because I'm a I am a college basketball junkie, really, at the end of the day. So trying to, like, balance out the Hornets watching with all this college basketball watching and then also trying to, like, have a life has been difficult for me. <laughs> so uh, I can't say that I've been as locked in on Hornets basketball maybe in the, uh, in the past week as, as I have been for a lot of the season, but all of a sudden, here they are, kind of back in the mix, which you knew was always going to be the case, right? Uh, but anyways, how's it going over there? I'm doing good. Doing good. Uh, a little depressed. We just got through watching the uh, Florida and South Carolina game. I'm a big Gators fan. Uh, they had a seven-point halftime lead, and then it kind of just fell apart in the second half with South Carolina's you know, intense defense. They're, you know, they're a team of destiny right now. They're making it to the Final Four. So a little depressed on that end. Uh, I have been watching a little bit more. Hornets basketball that maybe you have, uh, but obviously you probably have been tuned in more to the uh, the March Madness here. I've only been kind of keeping up with my Gators, but uh, that run ends today, or it just, just ended about 30 minutes ago. So guys, this is episode 18 of our podcast. Uh, it's a very exciting time for us over here at almightyballer.com. Uh, we've recently partnered with Dash Radio, uh, which is the largest online radio streaming service out there. I'd highly suggest you guys go out and download that Dash Radio app or visit dashradio.com. If you aren't familiar with Dash, you can uh, go on there and just kind of tinker with things, but you can you can actually filter down your listening experience. It's country, hip-hop, you know, rock, pop, all different types of stations that you can get out there. But the one thing that they did not have until now is a sports station. And BuzzBeat, along with all the other podcasts out there, uh, are gonna, now going to be partnered with Dash Radio. So it doesn't change anything for you all as listeners. It just gives you another option. Uh, more details will come out, probably be airing on Tuesdays if I had to bet. Uh, but if anything changes, we'll let you know. But again, guys, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and as always, follow us at BuzzBeat Radio on Twitter. Yeah, Richie, it's um, thanks for giving our listeners that information. It's a really, really exciting development uh, that that we're psyched for. I mean, w- what a job that Chris Axman has done over at uh, Almighty Baller, and, and I mean, landing this this partnership with Dash Radio is is gonna propel the whole network and obviously give us um, give us a different scene to to break into. Um, you know, and and again, it gives you guys a different option to listen on the go. 
and hopefully that uh, that's a win for everyone. So we're extremely excited. Um, and Richie, just kind of piggyback off of your uh, off of your uh, conversation or talk about South Carolina. I mean, those guys are fun to watch. And you know what? This is a Horns podcast, the NBA podcast. I get it, but I just have to get it off my chest. Frank Martin. You know, that guy, you got to give him credit. I've always liked him as a coach. I've always respected his intensity. I know he went through some maybe some tough moments at Kansas State right. earlier in his coaching career, but he gets the most out of his players. And I've always thought he's gotten the most out of his teams. And just the defensive toughness uh, that you see out of that South Carolina team is, is something you just don't see in, in basketball anywhere. Uh, much anymore. I mean, those kids have a chip on their shoulder and they reflect uh, their head coach. I mean, you can see Frank Martin's fingerprints all over that team. Um, so, you know, I know there's a lot of people from the Carolinas that obviously listen to our podcast and probably a good amount of Gamecock fans. So respects to South Carolina and I will be pulling for, for the Gamecocks in the final four. What a great story. Yeah, I might be doing the same. I mean, you, you got to give credit to Frank because, uh, you know, just the way that his intensity shows with the team and like you said, he gets the most out of those players. You know, they were a seven seed. They weren't supposed to beat Duke. They weren't supposed to beat Baylor. Uh, they probably weren't supposed to beat Florida, but they did. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they got it. You know, look, it takes to win an NBA championship, to, to make to make a Western Eastern Conference Finals, to make the Final Four, to make the Sweet 16, to do to make all these um, – to meet all these milestones for any program or any NBA team. It takes a little bit of luck. South Carolina had some of that luck landing their game in Greenville, South Carolina. You know, if there's if there is uh, this HP two situation is different in North Carolina, they got to come play Duke in Greensboro, right, or Raleigh or wherever the game would have been hosted. So South Carolina got some luck, but they took advantage of it, and here they are. They're dancing still, going to the Final Four. So credit to that program down there. And I don't know that they've got any guys who we're going to be watching one day in the in the NBA, Richie, but Cinderius Thornwell. Um, Silva, uh, you know, the, the versatile big they've got who knocked down a lot of important free throws today. They've got some guys that should get a look on the next level. Uh, there's certainly not any guys I think that are first-round draft picks. But, but um, yeah, to all our listeners out there that are Gamecock fans, congratulations to you, and we're excited to, uh, to watch them here next weekend in the Final Four, try to cut the nuts down. Um, all right, Richie, well, let's jump in and actually talk about the team that uh, we host this podcast about, which is the Charlotte, the Charlotte Hornets who are, again, all of a sudden, back in the race. Uh, after today's win, I guess they are two and a half out. Is that right? They're two and a half back now after today's win uh, against the Suns? I believe that's correct, yeah. All right, so let's start with the Phoenix game. And you watched this whole game. I went back and watched the first quarter. I was out, had some family in town this weekend. so But did just get done watching the first quarter, looking at the game book. Um, a really good offensive performance. Uh, for the Hornets against a really bad defensive Phoenix Suns team, but I'll kind of let you lead us into this one. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing that you got to focus in on is the starters. The, everyone, every five of the starters played well. Um, you know, MKG, Zeller, you know, all of them played well, and we got off to a very very quick start. Marvin Marvin Williams actually shot the ball well from deep early on, uh, and just five from six overall. I think his first nine points were uh, three three pointers real early in the first quarter. It sparked the Hornets to a, a large lead in the first quarter, 32-9. Got out to a 32-9 lead early on. And then, obviously, Booker, who was coming off his 70-point game. MKG did a very good job on him. I know that he scored 23 points, but, you know, MKG just, just made things difficult for him. You know, he pestered him into difficult shots, contested shots. He forced a couple turnovers on him. Um, so, he was he was probably determined, knowing that he was coming off a 70-point game, 
that, hey, I'm not going to let that happen against, you know, the Charlotte Hornets. So second half, uh, things kind of dipped a little bit. We have this unit in here in the second quarter, and also I believe it was in the uh, the beginning of the fourth quarter in which the defense was just was just bad. It was uh, Briante Weber at point guard, uh, Bellinelli at the shooting guard, Lamb, small forward, and Marvin and Frank to round out that unit. And anytime they were in, that was when the Suns kind of made the run. And then, interesting enough, we actually ended the game with our five starters. I know that the past couple of games, we've had some um, tinkering with the end of the game lineups. I know that MKG uh, rarely sees the court at the end of the game, but we actually finished the game with our starters, and they were the ones that were the most productive. Like I said, the beginning of, of this all, you know, the starters were the ones that got it done. And then the last thing that I just want to talk about, that I, I this player does not get enough credit for the Hornets. I really don't think he does. Uh, that's Cody Zeller. Uh, he had 16 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists. Four steals, six screen assists, and four deflections. So just he, he's doing it all. He's hustling. Uh, he's he's not a flashy guy by any means, and he will never get the credit that he deserves. But the, some of the things that we do on offense revolves around Zeller and what and what he can do for the screen game. So uh, we win one twenty to one oh six. We almost we almost blew the lead in the fourth quarter. I think it got down to five or four points, but we ended the game on a fifteen to five run. Yeah, so let's let's start with uh, with Marvin Williams. I just kind of want to touch on his recent play. I mean, in the last two games, you know, his, his shooting percentage from deep, which you and I actually discussed earlier today, is not – it's still not great, although he's been playing a lot better and impacting the game in a lot of different ways over the past month. I mean, he's been excellent in March. I mean, he's averaging over 10 rebounds a game. He's averaging 13 points. Um, I mean, the guy is just finding a way to, to impact the game. Um, his basketball IQ is extremely high, but in these last two games, um, we're starting to see a trend that could be huge for the Hornets, and that is his outside shooting. So in the last two games, let's see, he was 5 of 6 today, he was 3 of 5, so he's 8 of 11 um, from behind the arc in the last two games. Yes, it's a, it, it's an extremely small sample size, Yeah, but Richie... Marvin's the kind of player that is not going to hesitate to let it go um, when he is seeing a big basket. And if this trend continues for the Hornets, it, it's going to make them a lot harder to guard. Uh, and on top of that for Marvin, you know, throughout his struggle shooting the ball this season, he has developed a habit um, and really a skill set to be creative um, and, and kind of frisky, putting the ball on the floor and using, you know, and, and getting into the lane. And it, it's not pretty, but but he's he's a pretty efficient scorer around the basket off the dribble. Um, and, and he's developed that part of his game this year, again, because he struggled shooting the ball. So, you know, you combine those two, and all of a sudden you have a guy who's pretty difficult to guard, and, and it's hard to really come up with a scouting report for him. You know, on the season, he's, you know, he's under, definitely under 35% from behind the arc, I think. Um, the month of March, as good as he was, again, he's 30% from behind the arc. But these last two games, you've seen a serious uptick uh, in his shooting ability. Um, and, you know, when him and Kimba run that little, you know, little pick and pop action, you know, teams are consistently helping on Kimba. You know, the 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 screener is dropping to take away the drive from Kimba. And, and Marvin's open 100% of the time, really, since uh, for most of the season. Now, if he can continue to see a big basket, all of a sudden the Hornets' offense is is really going to be a different animal. Um, so I think that, to me, uh, and Marvin Williams' play here in the last two games has been offensively the, the the best sign for the Hornets. Yeah, and I think that with Marvin's game, you never have to really question his confidence with, with his shot. It's not like it's Frank Kaminsky out there, because sometimes Frank Kaminsky, 
he will hesitate with this shot. Like you were mentioning earlier, he lets it fly. You know, Marvin lets it fly. If he's open, he's going to take the look. And But he has developed that game in which he is getting to the basket a little bit more. Uh, his shooting, his field goal percentage has gone up in the month of March. But that's because he's getting to the rim. You know, obviously his shot is not falling for him overall, but he's making the most of it and getting it to the rim. So the scouting report coming into the season was run Marvin off the line. And because of that, he's developed a game going to the rim, getting those dunks, you know, as the as the defender flies past him. But if, if he can develop that three-point shot to end this season, defending him is going to become that much, you know, more difficult, whether they, you know, close out hard or do they allow, allow him to shoot the three. And he, he, he will shoot it. He's not going to hesitate like some of the other players that lack confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know that's a huge deal for the Hornets. And and if Marvin starts seeing a big basket and he lets it go, and defenses have to really respect that uh, to a heightened level, it's going to change things. Um, Richie, let's switch to the defensive end of the of the basketball um, real quick for the Hornets. I, one thing that has stuck out here recently, I don't think there's any. Yeah, I watched the game, and I don't think there's any different approach defensively. But they've been guarding the three point line at a very efficient rate. Um, so Cleveland shoots nine of twenty-five the other night. Um, for a Cleveland team, that's pretty can get really high. You oh know, Thirty-six yeah. percent. That's pretty respectable uh, defensively. Today, Phoenix is six of sixteen. They don't have a ton of shooters outside of Booker. No. Um, but you know, again, holding your opponent to uh, really limiting limiting them from behind the arc uh, has been something the Hornets have struggled with all season. But you know, I don't have it right in front of me. But this is stretched over the last five to seven games. I would say the Hornets have been much better. Uh, at, at forcing contested threes, and, and obviously they're a good defensive rebounding team, but I think defensively that has been um, that's been a big uptick uh, for Charlotte, and it's allowed them to to get back into the playoff hunt here. Is there anything that you've seen, you know, intrinsically on the defensive end? No, I mean I, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't because I feel like their defense has been the same all year. Is to clog up the lane, you know, overhelp to an extent. So, you know, we're a team that allows a lot of three-point attempts on us. It just happens to be that Cleveland didn't make a lot, and they're not – I mean, they are a good three-point shooting team, so it's kind of a surprise in that manner. Uh, Phoenix, on the other hand, is not a good three-point shooting team, or at least they don't attempt a lot. So, But I haven't really noticed anything observable that I could see that says, okay, they're playing the, the three-ball a little bit better on defense. I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I don't think that – you know, again, just putting the eye test on it, I, I don't think the Hornets are approaching anything different. There's a different strategy necessarily, but I, I just think that teams are, you know, the Hornets have hit a little bit of a lucky streak. Teams are missing uh, more open threes than they were for the majority of the season. And the Hornets are you know, pretty notorious for giving up more open threes. I would say the most NBA teams. And again, just for the reason that you just said, they just, they're committed to clogging the paint, uh, you know, cl- making sure the ball doesn't get in there, closing off those lanes. Uh, and they're gonna they're gonna overhelp to make sure the ball goes back is thrown back out towards the arc. So, uh, but those shots aren't going in right now from opponents as as highly uh, as as high of a rate as it was. So, I want to talk about a few more players here that have been playing well lately. But let's transition. Let's quickly revisit that Cleveland game um, because I want to talk a little bit about Marco Bellinelli, Bellinelli and his recent play here as well. So the Cleveland game was a huge deal for the Hornets. All three teams that they needed to lose that night <laughs> did end up losing. Right. So Charlotte really could have made up some ground um, in the standings in that game. Didn't end up happening, but 
you know, I, I did take a few notes. Let's jump straight to the fourth quarter. Um, I thought that the Hornets were really good defensively against what is one of the most potent lineups in the NBA, and that is when Cleveland goes with Kevin Love at the five. Okay, so Tristan's off the floor. They go LeBron, um, Jr., Kyrie, uh, and Mon Schumpert, and then Kevin Love, I believe, was the lineup, which is as close as Cleveland can get to the lineup of death. And the Hornets did a great job, I thought, in the fourth quarter at matching up with that, forcing tough shots, not overhelping, um, and, and getting back into it. They, I mean, they could not overcome LeBron in the end. But, man, oh, man, I thought the Hornets did excellent defensively against that death lineup in the fourth quarter, Richie. And that's just a note that I kind of took down this morning. Well, that's good. I mean, they, they held him to 22 points. Uh, which was their lowest point total of that game. I mean, obviously, we only scored 20 uh, and didn't get the win uh, against Cleveland with all of the luck kind of falling our way. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's, that's a good thing to note with, with a team that is very potent on the offensive end is to slow them down a little bit. And you were talking about Marco Bellinelli, and, and he ended the game uh, for the Charlotte Hornets in that game and played very well in that quarter. Uh, he scored nine points in the fourth quarter. Uh, he has seen an uptick recently in his play, and if he's if he's making his shots, uh, I don't see why they wouldn't put him in there in the fourth quarter. Uh, Frank Kaminsky was a non-factor that game. That was the first game in which he did not score a single point this season. I believe he was 0 for 9, uh, and he did not close out that game for the uh, the Hornets against the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Marco Bellinelli uh, playing like his uh, early season self, and if he continues that, he's going to be closing games for us instead of MKG. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, he's on the floor late in the game. And it, it's something really important to note, you know, when Cleveland goes to that small lineup, um, you know, I I wasn't sure really what to expect, what, what where Clifford would go with his lineup. And if Charlotte does end up matching up with Cleveland in the first round of the, of the playoffs, which, you know, is still a long shot, but it's possible, it's interesting to note that Clifford elected to go with Bellinelli over MKG uh, on Friday night. Um, we'll see or not if, if that would continue. I, I I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. You know, Bellinelli, if he's if he's not you know playing like he is offensively right now, it's kind of hard to justify him out on the floor, especially against a lineup like Cleveland. Uh, you know, had on the floor the other night. But but it's interesting to know nonetheless. But he's been good. Um, you know, he's he, there's another guy seeing a huge basket again. Uh, he looks he just looks more patient. Like wh- when I know Bellinelli is comfortable on the basketball court is when I see him come off those those pin down screens have that second defender in his face and not rush it, right? Like not leave his feet and either force a bad shot or leave his feet and make a desperate pass. That's just watching Bellinelli this season. That seems to be the sign that he sped up (laughs) is when he's leaving his feet and making an ill-advised pass or trying to make the home run play. When he catches, when he surveys, when he's patient, it is when you can tell that the game is slow for him and that he's playing confident. And I've seen more of that. Um, here in the past, probably three or four games uh, for him. What what game was it, Richie? That he that he went nuts and had it was the game before the Cleveland game, right? Where he had like nineteen points in the first half or something. Yeah, I think it was the game before the Cleveland game. I mean, he he had a great game against Cleveland as well. Um, but it, it right, might, it might have been the game right before. I think you're correct. Yeah, and the Hornets win that. Yeah, gosh, I should have written that down. But anyways, Bellinelli has been a lot better lately. Uh, he's been an efficient scorer. Um, he's he's dishing out assists. I mean. His line against Cleveland is excellent. 22 points. Uh, he's 3 7 from behind the arc. Gets the foul on five times. Three rebounds, two assists. 
I mean, he's impacting the game in a lot of different ways. So <clears throat> for a guy who we all thought could be kind of a second creator uh, beside Kemba or even when Kemba's out of the game and, and be somewhat of a ball handler, which he, he hasn't been as much as we'd hoped, uh, he has shown signs of that recently. So kind of hope that with him, him and him and Marvin on this uptick, it can really change the uh, – uh, the Hornets offense. And I think that Clifford will just play the hot hand. I mean, if, if he's playing well, I, I, you could justify playing him in the fourth quarter. If he's not, there's no justification because he's not going to bring anything on the defensive end. So if he has a game like he had in, in against Cleveland, you know, why not play him in the fourth quarter? But if he's not, if he's not shooting the ball with confidence, he's, you know, turning the ball over, leaving his feet like you t- were talking about, there's no reason to put him out there in the court uh, in the fourth quarter. So I think Clifford's just going to play the hot hand. Obviously, You'll see the uh, usual suspects with Kimba, Batum, uh, you know, Zeller, and then he'll just kind of mix and match depending on who's playing well. I agree 100%. I, I think he is going to play the hot hand, and, you know, obviously <clears throat> uh, Bellinelli has been great recently, so he's in there late in the game against a, uh, you know, a very deadly Cleveland lineup. All right, so the Hornets compete in that game. It would have been a great win for him. really would have changed the, the course of this playoff race. Uh, but they do come up short, 112-105. LeBron James just is LeBron James. Just 30, 32 points, uh, 9 rebounds, 11 assists. He went to the free throw line 16 times. Wow. So the Hornets, the Hornets could not keep him out of the lane. And they just, I mean, they're like every other team in the NBA, I guess. But, I mean, we all would like to think that MKG is a, is a pretty good defensive matchup against LeBron James. But it's, he can't. He just gets overpowered, you know, just like everyone else. And then Marvin Williams, you need a lot out of that guy offensively if you're going to have a chance to beat Cleveland. So you just can't ask him to guard LeBron uh, every time down the floor. So it's just a really tough matchup for the Hornets. Um, and they could not uh, could not hold water out of the boat with LeBron that night. Uh, but that was a full-strength Cleveland team. So you, you got to take some positives away from that. Let's, let's move on and preview Tuesday night. Milwaukee comes into the Spectrum Center and, and – enormous game for the Hornets. It's a it's an absolute must win. Milwaukee right now is six in the East. They're sitting at thirty seven and thirty five. Um, they're actually playing Chicago right now. Is that correct? That's correct. They were down at halftime the last time I checked, but I'm not sure exactly what the score is uh, currently. They were down by like one or two at half. I guess we just want Milwaukee to win that game, though. Really, I mean, we don't because Chicago is still what a game ahead. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, they're kind of all right there in that that mix. Chicago's so annoying. <laughs> they're they're awful, but they just they're just like in the way. But somehow they're you know? ahead of us. So yeah. So that how does that yeah, make us feel? Well, I, I don't think we're good. Trust me. But that's just <laughs> Chicago. Chicago. If they if Chicago makes the playoffs, I will not watch one second of that series they play. I, I can't stand watching that team play basketball. It's pathetic. But anyways, all right. So Milwaukee comes in Tuesday night. Uh, it's it like I said. It's a must-win for the Hornets. Um, I'm not sure they can catch Milwaukee when it's all said and done, but it certainly um, certainly would keep that in the conversation. There's nine games left, Richie. Real quick before we preview this matchup with Milwaukee, do you like what do the Hornets have to do here? Do they have to win like eight of nine? Do they have to win seven of nine? Do they have to win all nine? I mean, I would where, say where do we? I would say seven and nine at the minimum. I I think seven of nine at the minimum to get us there, or at least for us to feel comfortable as fans. I don't see it happening, but that's kind of where I think that would we would need to fall in that seven win range. Yeah, so that would put us if we won seven of nine, that would put us at forty and forty two on the year. And right now, the eight seed is 
two games under 500. So that would, I mean, that would, yeah, that puts you right there. And, you know, you have to see where the tiebreakers fall and all the other stuff. But that gives the Hornets the best chance. Um, All right, let me ask you this question. Not that you have the schedule pulled up right in front of you, but is seven and nine attainable? Or is that just like... I don't think so. A long shot. No, I mean, we have a a pretty somewhat difficult schedule remaining. I'm just going to run off the games. Tuesday, Bucks. We have the Raptors, uh, which would actually be on a back-to-back. Nuggets, Thunder, Wizards, Heat, Celtics, Bucks, and then Hawks to end the season. I, I don't see us winning seven of nine. I mean, the likelihood of us winning seven of nine is just is extremely low. And I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I just don't see it happening. To be honest with you, I think the best, maybe five and four, but that's the best. I don't see it being five and four, but uh, I, I see it more towards like three and six or four and five, to be honest. Oh, wow. So you're really low. I'm not as I think the Hornets are playing really good basketball right now. I think that they have found, you know, a synergy, especially offensively, that you know, has them looking more like last year's team. Of course, it happens this late in the season when, you know, obviously it's just too late. But yeah, they look like a different team to me. They surprisingly look fresh. Kimba's playing as good of basketball here in the past three or four games he's played all season, which is saying a lot because he's not he's had an incredible season. Um, I'm a little more high on the way they can end the season than you. So, okay, so Milwaukee, Toronto, Denver, Oklahoma City, Washington, Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Atlanta to finish what you just said. Milwaukee is at home. Denver is at home. Miami is at home, which is going to be absolutely huge. Boston is at home. So the Hornets still have to go to Toronto, to Oklahoma City, to Washington, to Milwaukee, to Atlanta. Now, the thing I would pay attention to is next Tuesday at Washington. It's pro- yeah, that, that's probably probably too early for the Wizards to be thinking about resting guys. But the last three games for Charlotte could be a much different story. Playing Boston on uh, next Saturday, April 8th, at Milwaukee on on Monday, the 10th, and then at Atlanta the following night on the 11th. All three of those teams could conceivably be in rest mode. Yeah, I mean, Boston's pushing for that number one spot, but, you know, Milwaukee and Atlanta, you know, they might not have uh, anything to play for come you know, late April or mid-April there. So they might be already locked up in their playoff seating there. Right. So that's something interesting uh, to pay attention to. You know, it could help Charlotte's chances uh, in the last three-game stretch if they are indeed still alive um, to even make a playoff push. But, look, it starts Milwaukee Tuesday night. It's a must-win. If you get that game, you go to Toronto – um, you know, you win that game, you come home against Denver. Now you feel like we're going to be in this till the very last second, but it, it all starts Tuesday night. Um, all right, Richie. So let's go ahead and preview Tuesday night. Milwaukee comes into Charlotte. Um, if you had to pick out one key matchup for that game, what would it be to you? Well, I don't know about a key matchup, but probably a key stat would be turnovers. You know, Charlotte has the lowest turnover percentage. Milwaukee uh, opponent's turnover percentage is fifth best in the league or fourth best in the league. So they, they turn the ball over. Uh, and then you got Giannis who can just get up and down the court with ease, takes like two steps from midcourt and he can, you know, he's in the lane. So he actually averages five points off turnovers per game, which is, you know, league's best, league's best. So I think that turnovers, something that we pride ourselves in is going to be, you know, the key stat to look forward to. And if we turn the ball over, We've said this all year. We have a, we're a team with little room for error. 
If we turn the ball over, it's going to be all over for us. So, and interesting to note, uh, Chris Middleton is back for the Bucks, and since he's entered the the uh, starting lineup for the Bucks, they've been playing much better. Uh, he has also seen an increase in minutes. He's averaging maybe like at 30 minutes per game. And when he first started, obviously when you're coming back from an injury, I think he had a, a hamstring yeah. injury and a minutes restriction there, but he's played 30 minutes consistently since March. And that's, you know, that kind of coincides with Milwaukee's 11 and three record in March here. So key stat turnovers. And obviously you just got to keep an eye on uh, Giannis and Middleton as well. And Middleton adds something to that Milwaukee team that they don't really have uh, three point shooting. And I, obviously they picked up to who's been somewhat inconsistent from three this year. But, you know, they're a team that likes to get into the paint. Yeah, you have to. I, I've always liked the matchup with Milwaukee for Charlotte because, you know, Charlotte's already good at closing off the paint and, you know, and keep in controlling dribble penetration. Milwaukee, not a great outside shooting team, um, you know, so so they need the ball to get into the painted area. Um, you know, I think your point about Middleton's a really important one. He, he's back to 100%. And, you know, I <laughs> – I would say he's kind of the guy who's going to get the ball at the end of games uh, for them right now. I mean, obviously Giannis is there, but you know you're not you're not extremely worried about him shooting the ball from deep, so you can kind of pack it in against him and force him to take an outside shot with Chris. But you know, with Middleton, it's it's much different. I mean, he he's very versatile. He can put it on the on the floor and get to the rim, yep. create. He's a smart player, but he's also just a lights out shooter. So you know, he's the guy that's really changed things up for Milwaukee, and he's. Not that he's a better player than Jabari Parker, but he's, at this point in his career, a much more efficient player uh, for a lot of different reasons. So it's it's not shocking that they've been better without Parker and, and plug in Middleton. Um, he's more polished. But it, he's more polished. He's just a better decision maker. You know, he, he's a better passer. He's a better creator. Um, you know, he's, he's just incrementally better at, at some of the more important things for an offensive player uh, in the NBA. And he's obviously more clued in defensively than I say Parker is at this point in time in his career. So, look, Milwaukee is a dangerous team come the postseason, and I would not if you know if I'm one of those top three seeds, I don't want to see those guys in round one. Um, but you know, I think it. I think Charlotte, how they match up with Milwaukee is interesting. You know, does MKG guard um, you know the Greek Freak? Um, you know, who guards Middleton at the end of games? I mean, they're just they're just so long and they're just freaky athletic and they're right. just not your they're not your cookie cutter roster with a point guard and a, and a shooting guard i mean you know giannis is our point guard he's 611 so i mean it's just it's tough to match up with those guys but again i do think the hornets match up pretty well with them because milwaukee needs to get the ball into the paint a lot and charlotte's pretty good at, at keeping it out of there um so yeah i, I like this matchup for charlotte I, I would not be surprised if they're favored going into that game they've been excellent at home recently um and it's a must win yeah, I mean, even though I predicted, you know, four wins in these last nine games, this is one of the wins that I have. I, mean, I think that we do win against Milwaukee Tuesday night. Like, you know, the facts that you just stated, they, they are a team that we match up well with. They don't have a lot of outside shooters. Obviously, Middleton is back, but we do clog up the lane, and I think that it's going to be uh, – we haven't played them since the uh, the beginning of the year. You know, we haven't played them since – it was the first game of the season. So uh, it's crazy. And then we also play them twice in the, uh, in the next two-week span here. So interesting, interesting to note. Very interesting. Um, okay, so we agree it's a must-win um, against one of the hottest teams in the league right now. Uh, we talked about the re- remaining schedule. Um, you say, I'll what? say four. I'll say four, four and five. five. Four and five. Okay. All right. Four and five. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with six and three. I think the Hornets take care of Milwaukee. I think they take care of Denver. Um, you know, I think that they. <clears throat> I think they get one of these road games um, against a team that just probably needs rest or, or what have you. You know, there's just no reason for them to play all their players. Um, they, they lose one of Miami and Boston at home. Uh, but I, I'm going to go with six and three. I, I just think they're playing some of the best basketball they've been playing all season. Some of the most efficient basketball Kimba is playing as he's played, you know, over most of the season, really good. Um, MKG, he's found a way to consistently contribute. We've already talked about Bellinelli returning to form Marvin Williams, you know, playing some of his best basketball, especially on the offensive end and rebounding here recently. Cody Zeller impacting the game in so many different ways. Finally appears like he's back to kind of 100%. Um, he's back to that, that that pick and roll heavy. He's rolling hard. He's catching really tough passes on the move, finishing, making the right decision. So it's just like, I don't know, I feel like I'm watching the team that I expected to see for the majority of the season following last year um, right now. Is it too late? Yeah, it probably is too late. Right. But I think they continue the momentum um, and, and play this thing out six and three to finish. Um, but I doubt that's enough. You know, that's that's thirty nine and forty three if they win six of their last nine, and that's probably not going to be enough to get them into the postseason. So the point is this: Charlotte is playing well right now. They have to play even better if they want to make the playoffs, and that's just the hole that has been dug here. Um, Do you want to make Richie, the playoffs? Well, I mean, it, all right, yeah, let's stay on. I, I, I didn't know if, if I wanted to have this conversation or not because I feel like I feel like we've had it enough. But I mean, at this point, yes. Right. Like the wind. All right. So the window opened and closed extremely fast for the Hornets to press the stop button on the season. Right. Right. The quote unquote that window, tank. Yeah. 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 Whatever you want to call it. You know, the, the tank about two weeks ago, <clears throat> I thought there was a legit conversation to be had and a legit debate to be had that the Hornets could get below five teams right now that are a right with them in the standings um, or below them in the standings. I thought that Charlotte could plummet below five, maybe six of those teams. Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, and, you know, I, I get some, some, you know, some feedback on Twitter, um, you know, earlier this week when I kind of made this point of what do you, what do you mean? You just sit Kemba? Well, yeah, that's exactly what you do. You know, but, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's had two knee surgeries in the last three seasons. Um, we've already talked about numerous times how much we ask of him offensively or just in general. In general, yeah. So, yeah, yes, this guy has a long-term contract. He's, the, he's our most important player. We're not going anywhere. We can benefit by falling down, you know, down the draft board here or up the draft board, giving ourselves a chance to draft a guy like Malik Monk. Yes, that's exactly what you do. You rest Kimba. Now, again, that window opened briefly and it closed Yeah, very fast. That's a good point. Um, and, you know, so I, I don't want to be a dead horse, but – now, Richie, to answer your question, yes, I want to go ahead and make the playoffs because now there's there they could lose the rest of their games and they're they literally can only help themselves by like two spots in the draft. So now it's too late, right? The only the last thing I was going to say about that is just there's one player I just said his name a minute ago. We've talked about him numerous times. There's one player that is an obvious, immediate impact guy for this roster, and it's Malik Monk. Uh, it's just it's what Kimba needs next to him. Malik's a scorer. He's a creator. He's super polished offensively day one. You know, he's a 15 point per night guy as a rookie. Uh, and that was the obvious reason to me 
for Charlotte to go ahead and try to drop uh, and lose some games to finish the season and position themselves to draft a guy who, when it's all said and done, is 6'3", as a shooting guard, maybe 6'3". We're going to have to see what he measures at you know, without shoes in the combine. That was that was the only reason I thought they should do it. And, and they obviously didn't think that was a high priority, and that's fine. Um, but anyways, go ahead and say what you were going to say. No, I, mean, I, I would agree with what you're saying. I think that that window did close because if we do you know, lose – nine of these games, eight of these games, it might not affect our, you know, ping pong situation. And, you know, we don't get any luck in the ping pong situation anyway. But, you know, I was all for quote unquote tanking about two or three weeks ago. And now that you're bringing this point up, you know, just push for the playoffs because in reality, the draft position that we have now uh, versus what's going to come at the end of the year, it's probably going to be very similar, very similar. And obviously if we make the playoffs, it's, it's going to do a lot for the, you know, just keeping us relevant, I guess. But, you know, I just don't see us, you know, winning a single game in the playoffs. I know that's kind of pessimistic, but yeah, I mean, I've always loved playoff basketball. It gives us something to talk about, but I I really wish we would have tanked. I I don't know what the correct term is, you know, several weeks ago, because we we needed to move up in the draft situation because with the way that our team was playing, uh, it was the perfect time to do it. But now, like you said, uh, you might as well just play out the season and, and see where it gets us. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I've heard the narrative of, you know, go ahead and get the – you're stuck with this roster, right? Like you're going to have these guys that you're seeing playing right now. They're going to be playing on this team uh, and playing big minutes for the next three seasons. So, you know, go ahead and get them some pressure games, some pressure minutes. Um, you know, you think that – even as much of a long shot as this for the Hornets, you think that just making them go through this stretch they are right now and making a playoff push benefits you down the road. That's fine. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Look at it. I think on top of what I said about Kimba a minute ago and why it was completely fine to just pull the plug on his season, I think it's also fine to pull the plug on guys like Marvin Williams and, and guys like Nick Batum. I mean, guys who have battled injuries this season. Marvin Williams, a guy who's already got a lot of a lot of miles on on uh, you know on his engine. You know, I, so there's. There's a few different ways to look at it, but uh, yeah. But anyways, Richie, they didn't choose to do that, and at well, this you, point, you in time, knew that you knew that they never were going to do that. I mean, like that's just the Hornets; that's their culture. They weren't going to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, no, you're right. Um, Even though we wanted it, I don't think that we realistically thought that it would happen, uh, just based on how they've kind of handled things the past several years. Yeah. Okay. So that yes, you're correct. Um, I guess I just like would like to look at Michael Jordan and Rich Cho and just <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not trying to be ugly or not trying to I'm not trying to be a smartass. I just I guess I would like to look at him in the eye and just ask seriously, who do you think you are? Like, do, do you not know who you are? You're a middling NBA team in a small market that has to find a way to be good through the draft. That's not an like yes, that's an opinion, that's anecdotal or whatever, but. I think that anybody would tell you that's probably the case. Like if Nick Batum, you're you're not going to get guys through free agency, so you got to make middling trades like bringing in a Nick Batum. So when you bring a guy like Nick Batum, your ceiling is probably about forty-eight to fifty wins. Forty-eight wins is what they had last season. Is that the goal? Is is that the ultimate goal? I, I, you know, I, I just I just want the answer. And if it is, then the way you go about basketball decisions is probably completely understandable and it's, and it's defendable, you know, but I, I guess, 
I just can't believe that for Michael Jordan, right? It, that, that seems hard to believe because here's a guy who is the most successful. He's the best basketball player in the history of this planet. And and that is how he thinks he's going to achieve a championship team. You, you see what I'm trying to get at, Richie? It just doesn't like doesn't add up. It may that, not like, be their goal. Happen. It may not be their yeah. goal, but they just may not know how to attain that goal in, in a small market. And like you were talking about, like, you know, drawing free agents uh, to Charlotte is not probably high on a lot of, uh, you know, free agents list. You know, I, I really wish we would have gotten Gordon Hayward uh, several years ago. But, you know, I don't think a lot of players are saying, OK, I'm going to go to Charlotte. So we do have to we do have to win through the draft. And obviously that's been our worst aspect of any kind of offseason transactions that we've ever had is the draft. So, you know, right. it, it may not be their goal, but obviously they're not doing a good job of drafting, period. No, they're not. They're not. But that's not an excuse to punt on that option. It's not an excuse to take True. a knee on the one way, on, on the only way that can land you a franchise-altering player. They're not going to do it through a trade. They're not doing it through free agency. And, and Charlotte found themselves in the position, I would say, oh gosh, on March the 15th, that loss against Indiana, that blowout loss at Indiana on March the 15th, I thought – this is it right here. This is the decision they have to make. It's perfectly acceptable. I know Michael Jordan doesn't believe in tanking. He doesn't believe in losing games, and that's fine. If you want to win long term, you're going to have to bite the bullet, man. That's Sorry. So they had a decision to make right then, and they decided to keep going for it, and that's fine. Okay, We could talk in circles about this all day, but the window opened briefly. They could have landed them in that top eight in the draft, and it closed very rapidly. And I understand both sides of the argument, but I'm just trying to defend what I was saying. Uh, I would say on that Wednesday night and that next Thursday morning of this is where they should go ahead and and quote-unquote tank. This is where they should give up on the season. It didn't happen. So anyway, so let's not not get lost in that because it can get – (laughs) <laughs> it can get dangerous down there, Richie. It's been a conversation that's been going on with this franchise for a long time. Hey, that's they, before the Hornets were even here. They got to get one of these draft picks right one time, right? I mean, I, I feel like they, you know, just law of averages here. You would think. I mean, you know, I I, I don't pre- pretend to think that they had their great evaluators of talent, um, especially when you're, com- you know, comparatively speaking, you know, across the league. But it's not an excuse to bail on that strategy. Does that make sense to you? No, I mean, I would agree. I think that they just can't say, okay, we're bad, you know, draft evaluators. Let's just play for the playoffs and, you know, not worry about our draft position because I, I think that, that we have to do that, especially in Charlotte. So, right. And I don't think they, they, they actually say to themselves, Hey, we're, we're bad <laughs> draft evaluators. I, I just, you know what I mean? I, I just think they're like, they're just hell bent on this. We don't believe in losing. Uh, philosophy, which look, I coach basketball for a lot. Like I totally understand that mindset and I respect it as much as anybody else listening right now. I do. But the way the NBA is set up, you have to be more open-minded than that. And that is more my problem is not being a little bit more open-minded, a little bit more um, diverse in your, in your thinking to solve the ultimate problem and give yourself the best chance. We're not talking about being losers. We're talking about, Finding out what's the best way to make to help us meet our highest potential long term. That's what we're talking about. So really, we're trying to figure out how to be winners. And so losing games with the way the NBA is set up doesn't mean you're a coward. And I just feel like that's what Michael Jordan 
thinks. He thinks you're a coward by losing on purpose. And I, I get the basic premise of that. But you have to find the loopholes in the way that the league is set up. And the league is set up in a way that allows you to lose and have a better chance to win down the road. So, it's yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting debate. Again, we're moving on right now because <laughs> this could last all night. Yes. Um, but but it's, you know, it's a fascinating conversation that goes on all over the NBA every single year. Um, Richie, we wanted to talk about Briante Weber. Um you know, we talked about this guy a lot when he was first signed uh, for the Hornets, and I thought, here's a guy that I, I know a little bit about. He had some good runs, and uh, he had a good run in Memphis when they were trying to make the playoffs last season. He had a good run in Miami. You know, he's shown a lot of potential to be a good player in this league and produce results. It took him a while to break into the lineup um, ahead of Brian Roberts for reasons that I still can't figure out. But since he's broken in, Richie, he has been awesome. Um, not a great shooter, but he picks up the ball defensively, uh, 85 feet away from his own basket. He, he just fits what Steve Clifford wants out of a basketball player to me. And uh, I'll kind of let you have it from here, but he's been very impressive um, to what he has brought to this bench unit for Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, I think today he didn't you know, have his greatest game. He didn't have his impact that you would normally see uh, against the Suns today. But you can definitely see the glimpses of Weber's impact on the game. Obviously, his biggest asset, like you were just talking about, is his intensity on defense. He will pick you up at midcourt or even, even uh, farther down the court uh, and just kind of hound you all the way down the court. That's his biggest asset. And obviously, with Clifford preaching defense, he is the perfect person to fit our system even if it means uh, you know, a third point guard or he's a, he's, a, he's a filler point guard. And I think that he still has a lot to learn about the point guard position. You know, I, I was a point guard growing up, and, and, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't initiate and operate the offense as a point guard like a typical one. I mean, I feel like he likes to get the ball out of his hands and work off ball. He's someone that likes to crash the offensive boards, kind of cut in, you know, in the spaces in between, and, and he's a pretty good cutter in, in, that, in that sense. And that's kind of where he gets most of his baskets is, you know, around the rim and in the paint. And the funny thing is he hasn't actually made a basket outside the paint as a as a Hornet all year. So, yeah, Briante Weber, I definitely see a future with him uh, with the Hornets. Whether that means a backup point guard, I'm not sure. But at least he'll make the roster next year. And, you know, at least we can count on his defense. And he's only, what, like 24 years old. So uh, he has room to grow. Yeah, Briante's a young guy. Uh, he is 24 years old. Um, yeah, he's. I mean, he's not... He's not going to score a ton of points. He's not super versatile offensively, um, but he just he fits the system a lot better because he makes us a lot stronger defensively. He gives the second unit a toughness that they were bad in just about every area for the majority of the season, the second unit that is, um, that, that you could be bad in. But it just feels like since Briante has been in here, they have a toughness. They, have a, they play with a, a different energy and chip on their shoulder. <clears throat> than they have for most of the season. It's been very beneficial. Um, but, I mean, I think we can both agree, like, we can compliment him all day, but he's a massive upgrade over Brian Roberts. I mean, can we at least oh, agree yeah. on that? And I think that yeah. both Brian Roberts and Sessions should be gone next year. I think that Sessions has a, a team option. I don't think we're, I don't think we're going to exercise that. He's like 30 years old. Uh, he's on the wrong side of 30. Uh, he's not really offering anything other than maybe cutting to the basket. And obviously he doesn't play defense unlike Weber. And then Roberts, I believe he's 30 years old as well. So um, we are, we're trying to get younger here and hopefully the Hornets see that and, and stick with Weber. 
I would agree with you. I would definitely agree with you. And, and to your point earlier, he's 24 years old. Uh, here's a guy that you're not going to find a guy more driven than him. Again, I was around him a little bit in high school. Can can really uh, can really do some stuff and got a lot of room to grow as a player. So I would expect the Hornets to move forward with him, uh, give him some more chances. Um, anything else about Weber? I still love his uh, high school attitude on the bench. I love his intensity and how he gets into the games. You know, I, he he is very into it. That is very much, I, and this is, you can take this to the bank. That is as much his personality as anything. He's just a very, very, very animated uh, guy uh, in general, on the court, off the court. But, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I don't know, Richie. I, I, <laughs> I've seen a big-time difference in the Hornets bench in general. I mean, they're up off their feet all the time now. And I'm not so sure that Briante Weber doesn't have a lot of – he plays a large hand in that, you know? So it's uh, it's been fun to watch. He's just one of those guys that I think Steve Clifford likes coaching because how hard he plays and how hard he works defensively. And then he just seems like he's a, a good locker room guy. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting to see what he can bring to this team uh, down the road. Um, let's talk a little bit, Richie, about end-of-game rotations. Um, there's, you know, Clifford has, has experimented with some stuff here recently. But, you know, I think the largest point is probably the Kaminsky-Zeller pairing since Zeller's come back. Uh, been healthy, and, and really we've seen Frank since All-Star break play much better. Of course, he's had his bumps in his ro- in the road like he did against Cleveland the other night. But um, talk about Frank and Zeller for a second and how they've meshed together on the floor, especially late in games. Yeah, I mean, I think that Bellinelli obviously got the nod over Kaminsky in the fourth quarter against Cleveland because he, he was on. And I think that we'll continue to do that throughout the year. Uh, I say throughout the year, through the last nine games of the season, uh, if that's the case with Bellinelli. But other than that, I, I see them going with Zeller and Kaminsky uh, with MKG off. Or maybe, I mean, maybe maybe he can you know be plugged into that three. I'm not sure. But I was a little hesitant about this pairing at first, just because I know that they're not the same player, but they both are heavily involved in the in the pick and roll game. You know, Zeller is a is a pick and roll player. Kaminsky is a pick and pop player, and you would think that both of them would need to be involved in that type of you know action for them to be effective. But obviously, they've played well together. I looked up their fourth quarter stats when both of them are on the court. Uh, you know, late in the game here, their the field goal percentage of the uh, Hornets is forty nine percent. The three point percentage is forty eight percent. And they're scoring 120 points per possession. So obviously pretty effective on the offensive end. And I think the gravity that that Zeller draws to the middle on those pick and rolls uh, does a lot for the outside shooters. And then I don't think Kaminsky draws any gravity with his pick and pops, but it's 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 Kimba that's drawing that. And they'll they'll kick it out to Kaminsky. And like we've talked about before, if he's not confident in his shot, at least he can get put the ball on the on the floor and uh, get to the rim or or make that extra pass. So those two have been paired up uh, well together. You know, obviously Kaminsky has to guard the four with, with Zeller guarding the five because Kaminsky just can't body, you know, those bigger fives down low, but it actually has surprised me to see that those two have played well together. Um, I think maybe the rebounds take a little bit of a dip when, when Kaminsky's out on the court with Zeller, but overall, I think that pairing has actually uh, pleasantly surprised me. Yeah, it has been a little bit surprising how effective it's been. You know, I think it's still not it's still not perfect. I still am just am not in love with it <clears throat> on paper. Um, but Kaminsky is not hesitating to shoot 
the ball on the, on the pick and pops. And although, you know, his, his shooting percentage isn't a whole lot better, it, it's been better in, in spots since the All-Star break, but um, he's not hesitating, right? He's shooting with confidence. He's letting it go. Obviously, that's what the coaching staff is, you know, encouraging him to do. Do not hesitate if you're open. If they help on the Kemba drive, let it go. And so, you know, it, it kind of puts the defense in. If you know he's just going to go ahead and let it go, it, it, and although the rate isn't super high that's going in, it still puts the defense at a predicament and makes that that helper think twice about how much he helps off of Kaminsky. You know, so. Um, but Zeller's just, I mean, he's obviously back to 100%. When he rolls to the rim, uh, it opens up so much for Charlotte. I think today in his game against Phoenix is probably as much oh, yeah. a good example of that as any. I mean, he was just so good at catching and finishing today on the roll. And it was obvious that Phoenix just really wasn't as clued in on him um, as maybe some other parts on the floor. Um, so, you know, it, it, it has been pleasantly surprising to see those two play together. I think it probably continues um, as the Hornets try to make this playoff push, but it's certainly something to continue to watch. Any other late game? You know, we already talked about the Bellinelli uh, thing as he, he stays on the floor against Cleveland late. Um, anything else? I mean, do you think that MKG is – do you think – let me ask you this question. Do you think that as this season wear, wears down that Clifford elects to have offense in there every single game? in late close games over MKG? Or do you think, like you said earlier, it's still going to be the hot hand? Because I'm not sure, and the reason I ask that is because I'm not sure that we can ever say <laughs> MKG has the hot hand, right? Because right. he's, that's, he, I mean, he's just not a good offensive player. So he never really has the hot hand. So will, will Clifford still go with Bellinelli late in games when they're all obviously must wins now? Just sit, because he knows I have a better chance offensively, even if Bellinelli isn't having a great game. Or, I mean, how do you see that? Yeah, it's tough to put MKG out there, especially in close games in the fourth, because most of his offense, you know, he has, I mean, he has shown bright spots with his mid-range game. Uh, Today, he actually hit a couple of mid-range shots, but, you know, MKG closed the game today against the Suns only because Devin Booker. Once when Devin Booker went to the scores table in the fourth quarter, we saw MKG come to the scores table. So that would really be the only situation in which I could see MKG closing the games if there's some kind of guy on the opposing team that has a hot hand. You know, obviously not coming off a 70-point game, but, you know, just someone that we need to slow down because I think Clifford is going to favor offense at the end. He always favors defense to begin, but offense uh, to close out the games. And MKG is not someone that you can run offense through. Um, you know, he only plays six minutes a game. Uh, in the fourth quarter, which is his lowest, or I guess it's tied with his with his second quarter uh, minute. So he's not heavily involved in the offense, so I don't see what benefit you would get with him. And especially in late in games when you're trying to draw up plays, you know, he's not someone that's going to be in the flow of the offense. He gets a lot of his, you know, his points off of transitions or offensive rebounds. So you're never going to draw up a play for MKG, even as a third or fourth option. So yeah, I, I see them favoring the hot hand or, or you know, just favoring offense. So I hate to say it, but I don't see MKG really being a player that can finish games with. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I just think when, when push comes to shove and when you're really in a desperation um, kind of situation, I think you got to go with offense over defense. Uh, you know, certainly some matchups that would that would make that uh, make that a little different. But yeah, I I, I really do agree with you there. Um, all right, real quickly, we need to get just a few Twitter questions and then. 
I just want to give you a quick update on a very imp- well. Actually, I have a question for you too. Yep. So Lonzo Ball, uh, De'Aaron Fox the other night. Fox drops thirty nine on Lonzo Ball. I think Ball finished with ten points. Just wasn't good. And just really quickly, do you think that that illuminates maybe a conversation that's not being had yet, but will be had as the draft gets closer? Is Fox a better prospect than Ball just because of what he did going head to head with him? I mean, he just destroyed him. And Kentucky obviously won the game. Or do you still say the ball is just clearly the better prospect? I mean, I have not watched enough college basketball from either of those players to say enough uh, to side one way or the other. Um, But, you know, I think some players or some people would take into consideration a head-to-head matchup, especially in a game that means a lot uh, with a lot on the line. So, I mean, I think the conversation might shift toward that and maybe Fox could jump ball. And I, th- I know there's some issues with Ball's uh, shooting mechanics uh, and things of that nature. But, you know, I-, I haven't really seen enough to say one way or the other. Yeah, so, yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't sure if you were able to really watch any of that game or not. But <clears throat> Darren Fox, um, I mean, he was always going to be a lottery pick. He was probably always going to be a top 10 pick. He, to me, has, has made the argument to be in the top three. Um, if not, if not this, I mean, if, if point guards are that highly valued, which they are in this draft, and I, I think that's that's the way it should be. Um, I think you made a big time case to be in the top three, if not ahead of Ball uh, in that game. So, and and the other thing I was going to tell you real quick, and then you can offer any comments you have if you have any. But uh, right now, Malik Monk going up against Justin Jackson. Uh, Justin Jackson definitely getting the better hand. He's got 11 points in the first half. Monk's struggling a little bit. He's two of five from the field, one of two from behind the arc with only six points. It's Carolina uh, with the early lead. But I think that this is a really, really big game for Malik Monk. And if he, if he continues to struggle and Kentucky loses this game, you know, I think he's in that 8 to 12 range for sure. Which is what you want, right? It is what I want, but I don't think he's getting to, I don't think he's getting to 12, Richie, uh, which is okay. where we're going to pick. Gotcha. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I just, I don't. I don't see that happening. He's just too good of a score. Um, yeah, but hey, something interesting to watch for Hornets fans. He likes yeah. to turn it on the second half anyway, so we we got to wait until uh, the second half to see uh, you know what kind of performance he puts on. That's right. Yeah, no doubt about it. And also a very important game for Justin Jackson just because I think, um, you know, is he a lottery pick? Is he not? You know, some people are even asking if he's a first-round pick. So, you know, his performance in this game is going gonna, is gonna to go a long way too. All right, let's get to those Twitter questions. Do you have those, Richie? I do. Uh, the first one comes from uh, at ZDP5000, uh, Zachary Pletchen, I believe his name is. Uh, what are your trade value rankings for everyone on the Hornets roster? Uh, I'm, we're not going to go through everyone. But I just think that's kind of overkill, but... We'll go for uh, seven players that I think that have the most trade value on our team. And obviously this question assumes that our players do have value in the trade market. Uh, the seven players that we're going to focus on, uh, Kimba, Batum, MKG, Zeller, Kaminsky, Marvin, and Lamb. So what I'm going to do right now is just kind of run down uh, from seven to one who I think has the, I say least, but the seventh least amount of trade value down to number one, who has the most trade value. Now, this is not saying that we would trade these players, but just who would bring back the most, uh, taking into consideration age, salary, the length of the contract, as well as production. So those seven players. So out of those seven players, I'm just going to run down my list. You know, if you want to create your own list or just give commentary on mine, you can. But number seven, I have Marvin. Uh, He signed through 2020. 
Uh, we used the bird rights on him. The reason I have him as the seventh out of all these players is just because of his age. Uh, he's on the tail end of his career. I don't see us getting much back from him. His three-point shooting has taken a little bit of a dip. So I, I would rate him seventh out of those players that I just mentioned. Um, obviously, he's still an important piece to our team, and I would I actually would not want to trade him. I uh, would love to keep him on this team, but I just don't see him having much value in the trade market. Um, do you want me to go through the rest of the list, or do you want to give your number seven? Yeah, we'll just rapid fire these things real quick. Okay. Uh, I agree. I, yeah, I agree. I think Marvin's number seven for okay. all the reasons you said. It's a, it's a, not a good contract at his age. Yeah. Right. Okay. Number six. Um, I have Lamb. Uh, he'll be making seven million for the next two year or this year plus two more years. Uh, he has all the talent. Uh, he's twenty four years old. He's young, but I don't think he fits with a lot of many teams' rosters because of his style of play. He slows down the the offense a little bit. So I have him at at number six. Yes, I agree here. Uh, I think Lamb is has he's starting to he's starting to blossom a little bit. I, I still think there's growth for him. Um, you know, I think that how seriously he takes his career in the off season and and how much work he's putting in away. Um, you know, again from in season. I mean, I think that's always been a question mark for him. You know, how seriously does he take it? I, I still think he could be a good player. I still think he could be a six man one day. Uh, one of the one of the better ones in the league. I, I know I'm probably on the Jeremy Lamb Island almost by myself at this point, but uh, still think there's a lot of untapped potential there. Uh, but I agree, he's the sixth best or sixth. The highest value, tradable prospect, whatever right. we're calling these things. All right, so then uh, number five, I think this might surprise people. I have Kaminsky. For the sole reason, I don't – this just might be me personally. I don't see him progressing as much as maybe other people may see him. Not that I feel like he's leveled out by any means, but I just don't see him ever being on a consistent level on either end of the court, especially not defense. But, like, I don't see him ever being on a consistent level like Zeller is this year. Like, Zeller is not like this – amazing player by any means but at least he's consistent on both ends of the court and I know that Kaminsky uh you may think that he's like this young prospect only two years into the league but he's actually older than MKG and maybe a couple months several months uh younger than Zeller so I don't really ever see him becoming that consistent on either of them the court so I have him at number five four I got Zeller this one, like I said, might surprise you. Some people might flip-flop these. He is signed through 2021, but what he brings to the offense with the pick-and-roll offense um, and the way that he battles on the defensive end, I think that he is very valuable, uh, way more than Kaminsky to me. But again, Kaminsky has a little bit more potential, but I just don't see it happening. And then number three, this could be a little bit of a controversy. I have Batum just because of his contract. Uh, he's getting a little bit older. And um, I just don't see the value out there as much as my number two, which is MKG. Uh, he's younger. He has got room to grow. Uh, he's one of the better offensive, re not offense, yeah, better one of offense rebounding players in the league. He's also a better defensive rebounder out there uh, when it comes to forwards. And then number one, obviously, is Kemba. He has the most value to me. So my uh, five through one: Kaminsky, Zeller, Batum, MKG, and Kemba. Yeah. So. You know, this is tough. You get into these top five. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Walker's number one. I mean, obviously, I'm the same with you on that. Um, <clears throat> I'm actually going to – I'm actually going to put – gosh, it's really hard. The Batum, MKGs, <laughs> Zeller, Kaminsky. It's really hard to separate those from me. Um, I actually still think – this is this is it's tough. It's tough. tough. It's really tough. But I actually still think that Kaminsky 
is the best. It has the second highest trade value. I know you massively disagree with that, um, but I just think the way his game is built, um, you know, his ability to shoot the ball. Will he ever learn to become a thirty-eight percent three-point shooter? If he does, he's. I mean, we're this conversation is so much different. Um, I think that. I think the MKG, MKG, Zeller, and Batum. I think you're just you're picking hairs at that point. I mean, yeah. my thing with Batum is just his contract it just sucks. Um, I don't know who would. To me, he's he's not as tradable as even MKG or Zeller, just because of that contract. I just I don't see Batum making a leap that ever justifies him being paid max, which he is. Um, MKG, his youth, I think gives him the advantage. So I put him at the third highest okay. trade value on the Hornets roster. I would say Batum is fourth and and I would probably say Zeller is fifth. But the Batum Zeller thing is extremely close. But yeah, I don't know. I, I still think Kaminsky, you know, being on his rookie deals like I I just think that's the most valuable contract that the Hornets have right now because he's on a rookie deal. He's obviously not uh as popular as a trade target as Kimbo, but I mean his contract is the best one the Hornets have. Yeah, like you said, the style of play that he has and you know what he could bring to the offense of being a stretch five, a stretch four, uh, and just the way that he plays the basketball game is kind of transitioning towards the way that the NBA is being played. So I see that aspect, but for, for whatever reason, I just don't see him being that consistent on the NBA level. I mean, not even what you know Cody is doing right now. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, I completely agree. I mean, Cody has found his niche in the league and the age difference is not that much. But, you know, it, I have to give Frank the benefit of the doubt because he's played so many, so much less time in the NBA and say, okay, well, <clears throat> when he gets to the amount of minutes in the NBA that Zeller has had currently, you know, we could be having a much different conversation. Um, and, you know, you just don't, you don't know where, where Kaminsky's role goes with the Hornets. You know, it, it might uh, significantly increase between this conversation right now and this time next year, okay, we don't know what the Hornets are going to do in the offseason. Uh, we don't know if they're going to try to make a trade similar to the one, you know, sending Vonla out uh, for Nick Batum. I mean, that that stuff's all in play. So, you know, if commit and, and Kaminsky might be that guy traded, but say that one, one of our other bigs is, and all of a sudden he's got a, a huge role in this offense, and he's kind of the second guy next to Kimba. Okay, now now this conversation could be a lot different. So I just think there's so many – trust me, Frank frustrates me. If you <laughs> listen to this podcast for a while, you know that to be true. But there are still a lot of unanswered questions about him, and I'm just not ready to write him off just yet. But I completely understand your reasoning, Richie, for having him where you do on that ranking list. Yeah, well, to go along with the, the Frank and, and, and Zeller uh, debate here, our last Twitter question comes from Bobcat's Buzz. At Patrick Connor seven, who has the better shot of making an NBA All Star game, Cody or Frank? Uh, what do you say to that? Well, I say that neither is ever going to make an All Star game. Would be my gut, um, but I think it's a fair question. You know, um, I think Frank has the better chance uh, to to make a you know an all what is it all yeah, yeah it's an All Star game. I couldn't remember if it was All NBA or an All Star game, but <clears throat> yeah, Frank has the better chance. Because of what we've already talked about, which is the way his game is built, he, he's built for modern day basketball. He's a, he's you know a seven footer who can shoot the three, um, you know put it on the floor, make plays, pretty good passer, finishes the rim. You know he's he's built like you want your bigs to be built in, in the modern day NBA. So it, when it's all said and done, he does have the better chance. Um, 
that said, Cody Zeller is going to be a consistent contributor in the NBA for a very long time because he's just found his niche. He's a great screener. Um, he's a great roller. He can catch it, make the right decision with it. He's a better finisher around the rim than, than you think he'd be um, with not a great wingspan and not incredible strength. Uh, but that guy, his, he's just – he's so consistent. He's one of the more consistent – he probably is the most consistent player on the Hornets roster, not named Kimball Walker. Oh, definitely, and, definitely. You know, and he's just going to make a, a really good living in the NBA because you know what you're going to get from him at all times. But the answer here is Frank. Yeah, I mean, you know, Zeller is my second favorite player on this Hornets team, but I know this kind of goes against everything that I just talked about, but I, I would agree with you. I mean, I think Kaminsky has the better chance. You know, he has the potential to put up maybe 15 to 17 points per game. I know that's kind of a stretch, but, you know, Zeller's not going to average – you know, put up these big numbers. Unless you're looking at these screen assists and these hustle plays, he is just your your your, your hustle player that's going to do all the dirty work for you, and that's never going to get you into the All Star game. So yeah, the answer to this question is Kaminsky. Uh, I think it's an easy question, but I don't think Kaminsky will ever get there. Agreed. I would agree with you on that. Um, all right. So really good questions. Thank you guys both for uh, for following, for listening, uh, for getting involved, um, and we encourage. All the rest of your listeners, you know, send us questions. You know, it doesn't have to be the night before a show. Tell us what you want us to discuss, and we will certainly do it. So this stuff is uh, its all enticing. Um, all right, Richie, I think we've pretty much covered it all. I'm going to go try to watch the second half of this Kentucky-Carolina game um, because I just can never get enough of Malik Monk, and <clears throat> I know you got to go too. Uh, before we go, just, again, want to thank all of our listeners, everybody that's hung with us. Uh, we're almost at 20 episodes which is, uh, which is pretty amazing, and, and we're, we're both very humble uh, for this opportunity and what, and what we're able to do, uh, talk about the sport we love the most. Um, so make sure you're checking out all the other great podcasts over at almightyballer.com. Um, and again, stay tuned for more information about our partnership with Dash Radio uh, and, and where you can listen to us on the go with that. We're really excited about that. You can find me on Twitter at QCH Spencer. Um, you can follow BuzzBeat, the podcast, uh, at BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, and then, of course, make sure you're visiting QueenCityHoops.com uh, for all your Hornets coverage. Uh, you can follow Queen City Hoops on Twitter at Queen, or, excuse me, at QCH Blog. Richie, tell folks where they can find us, listen to us on the go, and where they can find you on Twitter. All right, guys. You guys are able to listen to us on the computer or in the car. Uh, obviously, visit QueenCityHoops.com for all of our content. Uh, if you want to listen to the podcast, search BuzzBeat through the podcast app or download the Stitcher app. Again, guys, we truly do appreciate um, all the support so far. Uh, we would also appreciate any ratings, reviews, feedback as well. So uh, check us out uh, through iTunes, through Stitcher, and I would go ahead and download the Dash Radio app as well. So be on the lookout for Almighty Baller Radio Station uh, to appear real soon on the Dash Radio app. So uh, thank you guys for all your support. We're excited to keep things going, uh, and we will see you guys next time. Uh, this is Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast, uh, and a member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, look, season's not over yet. We're still alive, so we'll see you guys next week. Peace.